Okay, Bible's open everybody. Acts chapter 3. Remember that one this morning? I just want us to uh, check out a few things uh, that perhaps uh, we didn't think about this morning. We're going to jump all over the place. What I kind of want to know is how come... How come Peter said a prayer that was just a few words long and, uh, and, and the power from heaven came in such an incredible way that a guy that had been crippled from birth should get up and, uh, and walk? And that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? We talked about this morning about Peter being in the zone. Uh, and I also talked this morning about what Peter saw. Okay, you remember I was making the point that Peter saw uh, props for the first time because we can uh, imagine that every day he'd walk past this beggar. Peter and John went to the temple every day. The beggar was there every day. So they must have met before. It's not inconceivable that uh, the beggar had called out to Peter and John, give us some money. Maybe just a week ago, Peter and John had given him some money. So the beggar, full of hope, had called out again, this time expecting uh, uh, more money. And he got more than he bargained for because Peter didn't have any uh, money. Uh, and look at the verses at verse 4 and 5, uh, just if you weren't here this morning, that uh, talks a lot about looking. Peter looked straight at him. What a strange thing to say. Uh, what's Luke trying to tell us about what was going on? Uh, I think what Luke's trying to say is Peter noticed him in a way he had not noticed before. Uh, and we talked about the way this morning we can tune people out. I'm here all by myself, aren't I? We can tune people out. We can tune out people's needs. Uh, we can tune out the reality of other people's situations in our marriages, in our relationships, in our homes, in our families. We can tune the other people out. And not really see what's going on with them. So I talked this morning about how Peter saw the beggar and saw much more than uh, a beggar. Looking into his eyes, he saw a real person uh, who needed uh, what Jesus could offer. But I want to suggest this evening that one of the reasons that Peter was in the zone, one of the reasons that Peter was, uh, was so ready to pray a simple yet incredibly powerful prayer was that not only did Peter see the truth about the beggar, Peter also saw at the same time the God who could do something about it. In fact, I want to suggest that Peter saw more clearly the power of God, than he did the handicap of uh, the beggar. Uh, And uh, perhaps we'll come back to it in a moment. So while we're just thinking about that, this point is that Peter saw more clearly the power of God than he did uh, the beggar and his legs. Now, you and I tend to fix our gaze on the problem. We're good at problem gazing. That's why we're good at worrying. Worrying is uh, focused thinking about a particular problem. And uh, we do that quite readily. I want to ask this evening whether we can encourage each other to look not at the problem, but at the God who puts problems into perspective. Go right back almost to the beginning of the Bible, would you, to Numbers. Uh, It's a book in the Bible, somewhere near the beginning. Uh, Numbers chapter uh, 13. Page number of a Bible in the pew. 149. Okay, so Numbers 13, the story is this. They're in the wilderness and they're wondering whether they can get into the land that God had promised them. And they send a whole load of spies, or Moses does. He sends a whole load of spies and says, go and check it out. So the spies all come back, and this is their report, verse 26 of Numbers 13. They came back to Moses and Aaron. 
and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along with Jordan. So we're stuffed. It says that in my Bible. Does it say that in yours? That's the sense. So we're stuffed. That's what he's saying. Then, I love this bit. It's genius. Then Caleb silenced the people. He goes, shut up for a minute. Shut up. You got it wrong. He silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Caleb goes, we can, we can do this. Why was Caleb so confident when the others were going, we've had it, we're stuffed? Well, a bit later on, we get an inclination as to why Caleb was so uh, positive. Verse, uh, whoa, chapter 14, verse 6, move on just a little bit. Uh, through the pages, uh, and we go that when when they were the saying they couldn't go, then Moses, verse 5, and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehuhunaha, uh, hair actually, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Verse 8, this is the important one. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord, capital Lord, you remember what that means, is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Caleb is saying with the Lord, we can do this. He's saying you're afraid of the giants in the land. What you really need to be afraid of is the Lord himself. For goodness sake, don't sit here and rebel against God. He's far more to be feared in a right kind of way way than the giants in the land. Whatever Caleb saw in that land, he saw that God was so much bigger. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, 289. Thanks. It's a story about a little boy called David and uh, a rather large chap called Goliath. And uh, Uh, We can read about Goliath in verse 4 of chapter 17. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. If you want a visual image, look this way. That's Goliath. And the people are absolutely petrified of him. And that's all they can talk about. Every morning, Goliath came out and boomed across the valley. Hey, you choose one man to fight me. And all the Israelites were scared. And then in the evening, Goliath would come down again. All the Israelites were scared. All the Israelites are talking about is Goliath. 
That's all they can see. They can't see past him. They can't see beyond him. There is this giant in the enemy camp that they cannot overcome. If you whip over, or oh, I have to whip over the page in my Bible, maybe you don't in yours, but if you whip over the page to verse 26, David shows up, who isn't even a soldier. He'd gone to give sandwiches to his brothers uh, who were there in the valley. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The first time David spoke... In this account, he brings God into the equation. Who is this Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? And then they go through this rigmarole. David says, yeah, I'll go and fight him. And they go, no, you can't. You're not. You're too small. You can't wear the armor, all that stuff. Pick it up again at verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Who's David thinking about? The Lord. Thank you. The Lord, who delivered me from the bear and the lion, will deliver me from this Philistine. And just to make sure we don't miss it, look at what happens in verse 40, um, 45 onwards. David goes out to fight the Philistine. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day. The Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give you the carcasses of the Philistines, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Caleb goes, we can do it, not because he thought that there wasn't uh, opposition in the land, but he saw that God was much greater. David could do it, not because he thought that Goliath was only a little tiddler. He wasn't. David knew that Goliath was nine feet tall, but he knew that God was much bigger. What matters is whether you see in the midst of your circumstance the God who is much bigger. Flip into the Gospels to Matthew chapter uh, what's uh, Matthew uh, chapter fourteen nine eight one page nine eight one. Jesus walks on the water. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. The boat was already out to shore, so on and so forth. 25, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking, they were, ah, it's a ghost, they cried. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, so what's Peter thinking about? 
the Lord. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. That's pretty cool, isn't it? No? Okay. It's not every day you walk on water, is it? If you've done that, come and tell me about it. Oh, yeah, that's okay. See, it's a shame the story doesn't end there, don't you think? But it doesn't end there. Then, so, well, hang on. Peter's walking on the water. Who's he looking at? Jesus. Who's he focused on? Then, when he saw, verse 30, the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? It's all about where you're looking. It's all about where you're looking. Life is all about where you're looking. Why did Peter say to the paralytic man in our story back at Acts chapter 3, get up and walk? Because he saw in his heart, in his eyes of faith, in his mind, the Jesus who he'd seen say that over and over again. He saw the paralytic man. He knew that he hadn't walked since he was born, but he saw a God who was much bigger and much greater. And I'll ask you this week, I don't know what's going on in your world. You know, there'll be things that'll be uh, uh, stressing you out, and there'll be things that are uh, 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 making life uh, uneasy and difficult for you, maybe. And the biggest temptation of all is to keep focused on them, isn't it? How many of you have lied awake at night thinking about your problem? And the rest of you are lying. You know, how many of you get up in the morning and just like Goliath came down the mountain shouting, you, you wake up in the morning and you know that instant when you think, I'm stressed about something, I can't think what it is. And then bang, you remember exactly what it is. And you're there again, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. I want to suggest that if we just spend a little more time focused on the God who is able, that our God reigns sing with the drums, I thought was just fantastic. I, was, I, was, I could live the week now. Thank you, guys. Uh, but if that's true... And if we could just get a little bit more of that in our gazing and our focus, hey, wouldn't that make a huge difference? But instead of that, I fill my gaze with all the stuff. And the more I look at the stuff, the bigger it gets, the stuffier it gets, the messier it gets. And God says tonight to you and to me, hey, where are you going to look? Where are you going to look this week? You can come back like Caleb and go, well, it's a pretty difficult call, but God is able. Or you can come back like the others and go, hey, we're stuffed. You can be like the Israelites who spend all their day talking about their trouble. Their trouble was Goliath. And they chatted about him. Oh, Goliath, he's terrible. We'll never defeat him. Who's going to do that? Or, or you can come like a little boy and go, hey, well, God will sort that out. You can be like Peter and leap out looking at Jesus and keep looking at Jesus so you don't end up caught in the wind and the waves. And maybe you could say to a blind beggar, hey, get up and walk because you'd be in the zone. You'd see the God who is able not the beggar that can't. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Do you help us to look the right way? Your word tells us to, to lift our gaze and to see you. We want to see you high and lifted up. We want to see who you really are. And I want to invite you now just to think about some of those things that are filling your gaze right now, some of the things that are stressing you out, some of the things that you just can't get past, they're bothering you. And it's not that it's wrong for them to have bothered you. It's not to minimize them. They're serious things. And it's, it would be weird if they weren't grabbing your attention moment by moment. But maybe God says, hey, there's a choice. 
There's a choice to look just at the issue or to look to the God who is so much bigger than whatever it is. I choose to be like Caleb. I choose to be like David. I choose to be like Peter. I choose to see the God who is able.